You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? Happy Father's Day to all of you dads that are in the house, all of you dads that are watching with us online. Thank you so much for joining in with us today. If you've got your Bible or a smart device, I want to encourage you to uh, turn with me or swipe with me to um, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Genesis means beginning, and so they put it at the beginning. And some of y'all get that on the drive home. That's okay. It's a little, we're a little sleepy here this morning. That's all right. We're going to wake up here in just a minute. Um, We're going to land in Genesis chapter 22 uh, here in just a minute together. You know, I will never forget the day that um, two pink lines showed up in the window of that pregnancy test. Uh, Sarah and I, we were gathered together. We were huddled together in the small hallway bathroom of the parsonage that we lived in at 9747 Arnold Road in Jacksonville, Florida. And at that moment, my life was changed forever because a few short months after that, we brought Luke into the world. And then three years later, uh, not only was my life changed forever, but my hairline was changed forever (laughs) when two more pink lines showed up and Rebecca Avery made her entrance into the world and made me a dad for the second time. And I didn't realize it immediately right then. But later on, as I held those little babies in my arms, I became all too aware of the massive responsibility that I had incurred. And it wasn't just the responsibility to provide food and clothing and shelter for those little ones, but it was, it was really the bigger picture of it all. The weight of fatherhood began to rest on my shoulders. And it, it's, it's the kind of weight that, that entails the, the legacy that I was being called to leave behind to them. And yeah, you know, I had to make sure that they learned their ABCs and their one, two, threes, their shapes. Their colors, you know, cow goes moo, chicken goes bok bok, all of that stuff. But it was the, it was the bigger picture, even the, 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 it, the stuff that was even bigger than that. It, it was the realization that by watching me, these babies were going to, uh, to, to determine how to interact with and interpret the world around them. And, and even more than that, and, and certainly bigger and, and more important than that, they were going to learn how or, or perhaps how not to interact with and interpret the word of God in their lives as they observed my walk with Christ over the years. And I can remember as, as a kid, I would go into my dad's closet and I would get one of his sport coats and put it on, you know, and it would swallow me whole. It would drag the ground. I couldn't get my, I'd have to like push up the sleeves so that my hands could be exposed. And I'd get one of his ties and I'd kind of wrap it around my neck like a scarf because I had yet to, to master the double Windsor. And I would even get his dress shoes and I would put them on over my shoes. They were like clown shoes to me at that moment. Um, you know, my shoes would fit inside of his shoes with room to, to walk around 
and, uh, um, and, and r- r- with room left over for, for my foot to slide around. And, and I, I would dress like that, and I, could, I would go clomping through the house, you know, pretending to be my dad because I wanted to be just like him whenever I grew up. And, and fast forward four decades, and it's still true. I want to be just like him whenever I grow up. In fact, Dad, I'm wearing this shirt for you this morning. It says, the man, the myth, and the legend. And this is not about me. This is all about you. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I want to be just like him when I grow up. And many of us, we've had those same kind of experiences with our own children, them dressing like us or talking like us or acting like us, wanting to be just like us. And I would dare to wager that, that most of us who are parents in the room, if not all of the parents that are here today, all of the parents that are watching online, you would, you would agree with me when, when I say that I don't want my kids to grow up to be like me. I want them to grow up to be something so much better. But the question here this morning is, am I living my life in such a way that is helping to position them for that to become a reality. And therein lies the tension that no doubt many of us feel here this morning. It is the lifestyle that we are living, that we're modeling in front of our children, and, and that we're modeling for the next generation at, at large, is it congruent with and, and reflective of the kind of legacy that you and I desire to leave behind? Today, we're in part two of a series called Heroes of the Faith, where over the next several weeks, we're taking a look at some of the different characters from the scriptures that God used in extraordinary ways. And we're highlighting both their strengths and their struggles, their setbacks and their successes in the hopes of uncovering some nuggets of truth that when we apply to our own lives, will position us to be used by God in extraordinary ways as well. And I can't think of a better hero from the Bible to talk about on Father's Day than a man by the name of Abraham. See, you know that you've arrived as a hero of the faith when they write a song about you that kids sing in kids' church. And you know that you are like at the pinnacle of the heroes of faith whenever that song has complete body motions to go along with it. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. You guys know it. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Here's the best part. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. Nod your head, turn around, Father Abraham. I don't know what in the world that has to do I guess maybe because when you become a father, you kind of lose your mind a little bit. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. But that song, it's, it's all based on the promise that God gave to Abraham, who was at the time known as Abram in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. We read it this way. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. 
It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. And that last statement right there, it, it's key to our message for today. Because it was, it was because of that statement that we're even talking about Abraham this morning and, and thousands of years later. It's because of that statement that arguably the most well-known kids church song was ever written. It's because of that statement that Abraham became not just a man of faith, but the initiator of a legacy of faith. It's because of that statement right there that at the age of 75, having a barren wife, when God gave Abraham a promise of who he was going to become, and he stepped out in faith, it's because of that statement that God would later identify himself in the scriptures as he introduced himself to future generations as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I just have to believe this morning that if someone is important enough to be included in the introduction of God to future generations, then that is someone whose life that we all need to sit up and take note of. And as we do, we will soon discover that Abraham is not a hero of faith simply because he believed God, but he's a hero of faith because he obeyed God. And that became the key to his legacy. And so if, if I had to summarize what we could take away from Abraham's legacy and the story of his life, it would be simply this. Active faith is authentic faith. Active faith is authentic faith. And, and I happen to believe that as, as fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers, all of us in this room, all of us watching online here this morning, that this is one of the most powerful and important principles that we could ever pass down to the generations that will follow us. But it won't be merely something that we are able to relay with our lips but rather something that we must exemplify with our lifestyle. And that is the challenge for all of us today. But the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we live our life in such a way that positions the next generation to take hold of the kind of legacy that we are wanting to pass along to them? And, and when, we, when we look at, at those of us who we've chosen to follow after Christ, we've chosen to, um, to surrender our lives uh, to the Lord and, and, and to follow his, his leading, there's, there's two things that are guaranteed that are going to come our way when we choose to live that kind of life. And, and, and those, those two, these two things, they're, they're challenges that we're going to face. And each one of us, in choosing to follow after Christ, we are going to face both temptation and testing. We're going to face both temptation and testing. And, and the, the next generations, they are looking to see how we are going to handle ourselves in each of those things, in the midst of temptation and in the midst of testing. But it's important that we learn the difference between the two of those things. In James chapter 1, we learn that temptations come from the desires within us, while testing comes from the Lord who has a special purpose he's wanting to fulfill in our lives. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us, but testing is used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. 
Temptations often seem logical when they rear their ugly head in our lives, but testing seems unreasonable and often leads us to ask the question, why? And and our handling of these two challenges will determine the kind of legacy that you and I are able to pass along to future generations. And, And when it comes to temptation, we mostly have it down pat. Like, while we aren't always successful at handling the temptations in our life in the right way, for those of us that follow Christ, we understand that we need to say no to temptation and turn our back on sin. And, and these kinds of things are, are often the first things, the, the first lessons that we teach to our children when they're very young. Maybe think like the Ten Commandments. You know, you're not supposed to tell lies, and you're not supposed to cheat, and you're not supposed to, not supposed to murder, you know, things like that. Like, those are the things that we, that we teach our babies when they're young. But, but it's this second area of our walk with Christ, this second challenge that I think a lot of us, and myself included, tend to struggle with the most, this, this area of, of testing. Because I don't know about you, but what I've come to find out in my life is that, that often the tests from God are just as difficult, if not more so, than the temptations that come from the enemy. And yet it's here in the midst of, of testing where the rubber truly meets the road for what it means to authentically follow after Jesus. And I've come to realize now some 30 plus years into my walk with Christ that the Christian life is so much more than just abstaining from sin. Like, yes, that's certainly part of the battle, but our true calling rests on our ability and desire not just to say no to the bad things in life, but to fully surrender our lives to the call of God so that we can say yes to the good things that he wants to bless us with because he is our father and we are his children. And it's in between those places where you and I often find ourselves in the middle of a test. And Abraham was no different. When, when he said, uh, when he set out to, to obey the Lord and, and he left his homeland and that started his journey of, of following after God, his life from that point forward consisted of a series of tests. He first faced that test of family where he had to leave his family behind to go to a brand new land that he did not know. He then faced the test of famine where he failed this test by doubting God's provision in his life and instead going to Egypt to find help instead of resting on the promise of the Lord. Next, he faced a fellowship test where he had to give Lot the first choice for which land to choose and where to go and settle. After that, he faced a fight test where he defeated the kings who had taken Lot captive. Next, he faced a fortune test, where he ended up refusing to take the wealth of the wicked nation of Sodom. He then faced a fatherhood test, another one that he failed, because instead of leaning into the promise of the Lord, both he and Sarah took matters into their own hands, and and Abraham ended up fathering a child with Sarah's 
uh, maidservant, Hagar. He later faced a farewell test where he had to send Ishmael away so that his son Isaac could step in to fulfill his God-given destiny. And now here in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham faces a faith test. And it's perhaps his biggest test of all. Genesis 22, verse 1. Let's read together. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Verse 3. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, and while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Verse 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Verse 12, don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Now, this is certainly one of the strangest, most peculiar stories in all of the scriptures. I don't know about you, but when I read this, to me, it certainly brings up the question of why. 
Like, why in the world would God declare Isaac to be the son of promise in Genesis 22, or 21, 12, only to ask Abraham to sacrifice him on an altar one chapter later? It just, when you're reading it for the first time, it doesn't make any sense. And it kind of makes me think of, uh, you know, the reason behind why God would do something like this kind of makes me think of some of those car commercials that feature, you know, crash tests. Anybody ever seen a commercial like that? You know, they've got the dummies in the front and they run the car into the brick wall and, and they show what happens um, whenever that car gets into a crash. And it's, uh, there's a couple organizations, the NHTSA and then the IIHS, they actually perform at nine different crash tests on every vehicle that goes out into the market. And dozens of other tests are conducted internally by the car companies themselves on various aspects of form and function on the vehicle, not to mention thousands upon thousands of computer simulated tests. And this is all prior to any vehicle going to series production. And car companies conduct these tests so that they can build confidence in the consumer to buy their product to prove that they can be trusted. And it's the same way when it comes to our faith. When it comes to our faith, what hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And so this is why God would ask Abraham to do something seemingly as outlandish as this. Because God knows in order for Abraham to be able to trust in his faith, his faith has to be tested. And so we know going into this, we know that, that Abraham was aware of God's promise about Isaac. The word of the Lord came to Abraham and told him that Isaac was going to be the son of promise. We also know that Abraham was confident in this promise based on what he told his servants in chapter 22, verse 5. He says this, he says, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. It is clear that Abraham had no intentions of coming back by himself, dragging a corpse behind him. It was clear that Abraham believed that both he and Isaac were going to be returning to the place where those servants were. Hebrews 11 chapter 19 says it this way. It says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. That was the thought process that Abraham had during this moment and situation. And it's at this point that, that Abraham has walked with the Lord for 50 years. And he's responding to this situation, to, to God's command, his, his call in his life. He's responding based on God's previous track record. And while he may not understand God's outlandish request, so far, Abraham knew that God had never failed him and that anything God had asked of him or expected of him up to this point had always, it, it had always proven to be the best thing. So why would that be different even now? The Bible tells us that, that over the course of his life, Abraham believed God and obeyed him even when he did not know all of the details. For example, Abraham believed God and obeyed him when he didn't know where. Hebrews 11.8 says, 
It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. He just packed up his stuff and left, and God said, I'll tell you when you get there. In the meantime, you just keep walking. And Abraham got up and acted on his faith and went. Abraham, he, he followed after God. He, he chose to, to put his faith and, and obedience in, in God when, when he didn't know when. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, 9, and 10, and it says, And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. It says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. But he had no idea when that city was ever going to come to fruition. Abraham trusted and obeyed God when he didn't know how. Hebrews 11, verse 11 through 12, it says, It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She wasn't just barren. She was also old. Two strikes against her, and it didn't make sense. Yet, she was still able to have this baby. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man, Abraham, who was as good as dead. That's how it describes that man. He was as good as dead, but yet he was able to father this child that led to the birth of a nation. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. You and I who believe on Jesus, we are a part of that nation today because of our father, Abraham. Abraham believed and trusted the Lord. He, he obeyed God even when he didn't know the details of why. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And so when we look at the life of Abraham, we see what Warren Wearsby describes this way. He says, faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. Faith does not demand, Lord, you got to tell me why this is happening. you got to tell me how this is happening. you got to tell me when. you got to spell out all of the details. Faith doesn't, doesn't ask those questions or doesn't demand those things. Faith just says, because God has said it, I'm going to trust in it. That's what faith is. And so I, I want us, for the remainder of our time here this morning, just the next few minutes, to talk about five quick takeaways from Abraham's faithful obedience. So if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Five takeaways from Abraham's faithful obedience. They come in the form of questions that we want to ask, and then we see in Abraham's life how those questions get answered by God. And the first question that we ask is, where does God provide? We want to know that. We want to know where God provides because we want to be sure that we can be under the spout where the glory comes out. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we want to know where does God provide? And in Genesis 22, 9, we read it. It says, when they arrived at the place where God had told him 
to go. See, God provides for his people in the place of his assignment. He provides for his people in the place of his assignment. And Moriah was the place of the assignment. This was the same area which later would, uh, would be where Solomon's temple was built and where the people would come from all over to sacrifice, make sacrifices unto the Lord. And, and it's the same area where, where even later after that, that Jesus would ultimately be crucified to serve as the ultimate and the final sacrifice for our sins. And the truth here is that you and I, we can't expect to receive the provision of God if we're choosing to live outside of the will of God. That doesn't make any sense. If God's telling us to be over here so that he can bless us and do what he wants to in our life, but we choose to be over here, then we're never going to receive the blessing and the fulfillment of the promise that God has for us. It's only when we get in God's will and we do things the way that he's calling us and leading us to do them that then we position ourselves to receive his blessing. God didn't provide the sacrifice until Abraham and Isaac were already on the mountaintop. He didn't bring the sacrifice when they left the camp. He didn't bring the sacrifice when they were on day two of the three-day journey. He brought the sacrifice whenever they arrived at the place that God had told them to go to. And so perhaps the reason that God hasn't brought about the provision in your life that you've been asking him for is because you're choosing to live outside of his will and thus are unable to receive it. Because if we're going to be in God's will, that's what's going to position us to receive his provision for our lives. The second takeaway comes from the second question that we often ask. Not only where does God provide, but when does God provide? We all want to know when. When's it going to happen? We look, come on, God, you're taking too long. When, when's, when, I know what you said. When's it going to happen? Genesis 22, 10 and 11, it says, And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, God provides when we have a need and not a minute before. God provides not only when we have a need, but when we act, when we take that step of obedience. Notice the sacrifice hadn't shown up until Abraham raised his hand, ready to plunge the knife into his son. That was the very point of Abraham's need. And that's when God brought the sacrifice. Hebrews 4, 16 says it this way. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. If God hasn't shown up yet, it's because you haven't arrived to the pinnacle of that need yet. Just keep going. Just keep trusting. Just keep obeying because we serve an on-time God. Neil A. Maxwell says it this way. He says, faith in God includes faith in God's timing. Faith in God includes faith in God's timing. God is never late. He's always right on time. And it's always going to be his time, not ours. Amen? Number three, the third question we ask. Not only where and when, but we want to know how 
does God provide? God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to bring this about? This doesn't make any sense. Genesis twenty-two thirteen, 13 says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. You know what I've come to discover in my own life and what I see in the scriptures and what I've experienced in the lives of those around me that are following after Christ and positioning themselves inside the will of God is that, that God provides often in ways that are very natural. A supernatural God provides for us usually in ways that are very natural. Granted, he can definitely move in a supernatural way, and he does, but usually he will use natural means to bring about his provision. We notice in this passage that the angel of the Lord didn't show up with a ram in its grasp and say, here you go, Abraham. No, Abraham looked over and just what seemed to be coincidence, a ram had its horns caught in the bushes, so Abraham was able to get it. God provides in the same way in our life. It, it might be through a, a relational interaction that you're in the grocery store and you just bump into somebody and strike up a conversation that, that brings about something that, that moves things forward to God opening a door. And, and when, you, when, you, when you're on the, the backside of the situation and you've already seen how God has moved, you're able to look back and you're able to tell that story of you were at the right place at the right time and this person and this happened and this got said this was brought up and it just so happened all of these things that are seeming coincidences end up being divine appointments we've seen that happen in our lives before because the God that we serve is a God of structure and order and it's no different when he's ordering the events and the outcomes of our lives as you and I choose to walk by faith and obedience that's how he operates so just continue. If you haven't gotten the provision yet, if you haven't gotten the blessing yet, just continue to walk by faith and continue to trust and obey and know that God is going to take care of it, often in a very natural way. Number four, the fourth question that we ask when it comes to God's provision is why does God provide? Why does God provide? Genesis twenty two fourteen gives us some insight into that. It says, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, or perhaps Jehovah Jireh is maybe how you've heard it before, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Why does God provide for his children? Ultimately, it's for his glory. It's so that his children can echo his character and his names and, and, and who he is for future generations. To this day, people still use that name, Jehovah Jireh. We sing songs about it and, and we talk about it, how God has provided and he does that for his glory. At the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was, was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. His holiness always comes first. Before anything else, we recognize and we celebrate his 
holiness, the holiness of our Father. And holy, it means to be whole. It means to be complete. It means to lack nothing. And so that's what God wants for his children. He tells us in, in his word, he says, be holy as I am holy. I am complete. I am lacking nothing. I have everything that I need. And so you can be like me if you choose to follow in my ways. That will position you to receive my provision in your life. And then when he dispenses that, God's provision for us serves as a revelation of his character to us. Because we are made whole and complete through his provision as he is whole and complete through his holiness. So he provides to us to reveal his glory in our life and to the world around us. Last, number five, to whom does God provide? And this is the big one, right? We want to know this. If, if, we know, if we know where and when and how and why, how can I be sure that I am that one that God's going to provide in my life? To whom does God provide? Hebrews eleven seventeen. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. God provides to anyone trusts him, and obeys his instructions. It's as simple as that. God provides to anyone who will trust him and who will obey his instructions. When we place ourselves in the will of God, then we can expect to receive the provision of God. Somebody said it this way, when God's work is done God's way, it will not lack God's support. When God's work is done God's way, it will not lack God's support. Here's the deal. God is not obligated to bless our ideas or our desires. But he is obligated to support his work, his ideas, his desires, as long as they are carried out in the way that he has called for them to be carried out. And so it's important in times of, of testing and trial, for you and I to remember a couple things. The first thing that we need to remember, and, and no doubt many of you, you're in the middle of a test right now. You're in the middle of a trial, and maybe you've even asked some of these questions. God, why are you doing this? God, how are you going to bring your promise? God, I don't see a way to make it happen. Where do I need to be? When is this finally going to be over? If you find yourself in the middle of that testing and that trial today, there's a couple things that you need to remember. The first one is this. God may give us more than we can handle, but he's never going to give us more than he can handle. He will give us more than we can handle, but he will never give us more than he can handle. And so if you find yourself in the midst of a test and a trial this morning, I would encourage you, rather than consider how you can get out of it, instead, consider what you can get out of it. Because God has you there for a reason. If you're facing a test and a trial, it's a pretty good indicator that you're probably on the right path. And God, he's not, he's not punishing you. He's developing something in you. 
He's teaching you how to walk at a greater level of faith. He's teaching you how to lean further into who he is and and his character so that his glory can be revealed in your life and so that you can live as, as an example for future generations to follow. Because make no mistake, they are watching. And it's monkey see, monkey do. They're going to operate the way that they see us operating. And so we need to be careful before we get too upset with our kids for how they act and respond in certain situations. Because they're simply mirroring what they've seen over the course of their life. We need to be sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do so that we can position ourselves to pass down the kind of legacy that we want to pass down. Because remember, it's an active faith that's an authentic faith. That faith must be active. It's it's not just faith with our lips. It's faith with our hands and feet. James, the brother of Jesus in the New Testament, he writes about it this way. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? In verse 17 of James 2, he says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. He continues, he says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. God's challenge to you and me today is to live in such a way that we can exchange our name for Abraham's. It's that kind of active, authentic faith is is perhaps the most important thing that we can model for the next generation in these uncertain times that are growing even more uncertain by the minute. I can't think of a greater legacy for you and I to leave behind other than this. That last sentence right there, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. What about this? What about the people of Christ's walk church believed God and God counted them as righteous because of their faith? You take your name and put it in that place where Abraham's name is. That's the challenge. That's the call. Pastor Blake believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Sarah believed God, and God counted her as righteous because of her faith. That's what it means to live out an authentic faith. It's faith that is driven by action, where we don't just say, yes, Lord, I believe, but we respond to his call by taking steps of faithful obedience and doing 
what he has told us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. That's a legacy worth leaving behind. And the first step towards that kind of active, authentic faith is to enter into a covenant relationship with God by believing on his son Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning in this room, if you're watching with us online, you'd like to do that this morning. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, but today you'd like to step across that line and you'd like to enter into that relationship. I wanna invite you to do that with me here today. We're gonna pray a very simple prayer. It's gonna be on the screen right here. We pray this together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.